What's going on here? It's not even 2 o'clock yet. On early. Those guys on Canucks talk just, uh, you know, stayed out, out for early. 15 seconds. They were like, no, nah, we're good. Short shift today, boys. Short shifts. Let the other guys do the heavy lifting. That's all right. Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. It is Canuck Central. We're in the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Canucks in Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to get into the pregame coming up just after 3 o'clock. At 3.30, we will join up with... Sportsnet Pacific uh, to give you the televised version of the pregame show. Canucks coming off a loss to the Winnipeg Jets, and there's a lot going on right now, Sat. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's a uh, big road trip. Uh, Four games remaining on it. They go through the East Coast. Uh, The combined (laughs) losses that the four teams they have remaining on this trip, 18 regulation losses between the Penguins, Lightning, Panthers, and Hurricanes on home ice as the uh, Canucks go through this treacherous period, much like they did at this time last year. But it feels as though this isn't – last year, Jim Rutherford sort of put it, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot to figure out through January. Yeah. And the Canucks managed their way through it, obviously, and made their push for the playoffs. It doesn't feel as though this road trip – Though playing the same teams doesn't have the same sort of um, effect as it did a year ago. No, it it really doesn't seem that way, right? Like we're talking about a team that is completely going in a different direction at this time. And the hopes are not quite the same as they were when the optimism was abound with uh, Bruce Boudreaux coming in as a new head coach. And it's interesting because the overwhelming sentiment seems to be with this road trip even though the Canucks lost the first game in Winnipeg is they'll somehow find a way to have a successful road trip and they're they're yep. going to throw everything into whack in terms of what this team's going to going to look to do. I'm not sure I'm I'm that is a pessimistic or optimistic yeah. that outlook. Uh pessimistic. Yes, I guess. <laughs> Optimistic, I suppose, in uh, the hopes of trying to get a high draft pick or yes. wanting the changes to happen. Optimistic if uh, you know, you're know you in on seeing this as a lost season and really focusing on what the years ahead mm-hmm. really are for this franchise. Yeah. That's, that's what this is now. You know, I know that there's still, because nothing has really happened, because they haven't made any changes to the roster. There are reasons if you've been listening to the show for the last couple of months and heck the last year, you'd know what some of those reasons are. Sometimes you have to figure out a solution, not just have all the excuses yeah. in the book to, to use whenever you can, as we saw in Jim Rutherford's piece with the uh, Pittsburgh Tribune yesterday. But I would say it's pretty obvious right now, Sat, um, what management is thinking about this season and are they still trying to figure out what to do or have they figured that out and it's just about going and executing the plan for the rest of the season now I think it's about executing the plan right now more than anything else and I don't think this this organization is trying to figure out what to do the point you're making to figure out okay is are we do we want to be a seller at this point what do we want to do with x player and y player I think it's just about figuring out 
if we are indeed trading Bo here, we know which teams we kind of like. So the teams that we know are really going to be interested, we have a general idea, or teams that we're targeting, we have an idea of that could be interested. Let's take a look at their system and let's take a look at what they have. And I think in these scouting meetings, oftentimes what you go over, especially with the pro scouts too, is, hey, who do you like on this team? Yeah. How do you think this guy's trending? And within your own organization, you get a handle of how are our prospects playing? Who do we like? Who's expendable? And I think the Canucks are going through that process to figure out, are we figuring out what they want or what they're targeting as opposed to what decisions they're trying to make with the direction of the team? I think it's very clear what this team wants to do. It's hard to imagine that there's really any other thought process for this team right now. I mean, if I'm putting it in, in to, to how I feel about the team, it's it's pretty obvious what they are and that they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you make a run, but what's the value in that run? We saw that last year, and this team is back to its old habits, its old ways, as it was before Bruce Boudreaux showed up. I think about Patrick Alvine last year after or in the lead-up or after the trade deadline saying, essentially, uh, well, these guys earned a chance to continue this push, so... We're going to see we're going to see how they do and, and figure it out in the summer sort of thing. They haven't earned that this year. No, and time's run out. Yeah. I don't think like, even if they win four in a row on this road trip, I don't think it changes yeah. necessarily what they're doing. The only way it changes is if you win these four in a row and you somehow win ten out of twelve or something. Which is not happening. Yeah. You know, I guess it's not impossible because it is within the list of probabilities, mm -hmm. the likelihood of it is very small. And if you're looking for evidence to believe that it's likely, that evidence is very hard to find because the Canucks have provided so little of it, even during their better stretch the last little while. So nothing's pointing to that being a possibility. And I think this organization knows that. They're not hoping for a prayer to change their mind or for them to figure out what it is they're doing. So I think it's pretty clear what they want to do. And we talked to Frank Valley yesterday and he made the point as well. Like, this is the time where all the teams have their meetings. Yeah. And once they get those meetings out of the way, they really have an idea of, just like Vancouver has, of what they look for from other teams, what they deem expendable within their own organization, and how they're going about approaching things. And once that gets done is when you start seeing more movement happening around the league. So that's what we mentioned yesterday. Things are picking up. People are getting a sense of how many teams are interested in Bo Horvat mm -hmm. and what that may look like. And as the cap space opens up the next two, three weeks, you're going to see more and more activity. And if teams really want Bo, the next two or three weeks, you see that early push happening. And we'll see if that does come to pass. If not, we're sitting here and talking about a situation that's going to drag all the way to your trade deadline, like we talked to Frank about, if a team's not willing to put that great asset on the table. But what's interesting is, what other players are the Canucks really high on that they may be looking to get from other teams? And that's going to be the real fascinating part about what type of players they target in a Bo Horvat trade. Well, and, um, you know, we think about where, um, you know, this team is right now and, and these scouting meetings. And essentially, this is what this week is all about, figuring out who they like, who they don't, who they think fits with this roster and what players they could target in the short and maybe uh, longer term, thinking ahead to the summer as far as, you know, the proof is in the pudding with what this team is. They've played 39 games now. Today is 40, and Thursday will be the official halfway point of the season. They showed us 
who they are. Even their best stretch of the season when they won 9 of 13 games, most of those wins came in overtime or a shootout against mm-hmm. you know, teams, the few teams that are below them in the standings. So how much are you really taking away from even that stretch of the season? So it, it, it is obvious, and that's why this week is sort of big in, sort of, in determining what your next steps are. And we've talked about it, especially with Earth in the last uh, little while, where the All-Star break, mm-hmm. especially from a league perspective, with the bye week and the lead-up and the bye week after for certain yeah. teams, that's where a lot of teams really start to either you know get into big conversations and start to get things done or really start to set their plan for what's going to happen at the deadline. They, they really do. And I think where Vancouver is also trying to evaluate things here is what's – What's going to be going on with the players that we're looking to move out? Yeah. You know, people are texting in about what about Besser? What about Garland? I don't know if Besser or even Garland have performed to a level that their markets, that there's a going to be a robust trade market for guys with term. Yeah. So if we start looking at how are players performing here, and I look at a guy like Connor Garland, for instance, Mm -hmm. and I think we all agree this team should look to trade Connor Garland. He's not a top six fit, or at least not a comfortable one on this team, considering despite the fact that he's talented and despite the fact he is making significant money. But with this current head coach, I don't think there's a way for Carter Garland to be successful or be a good trade asset. So the last three games, yep. Carter Garland has played about 12 minutes a game, mm-hmm. 12 minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah. He has one point. Now, the previous 10 games prior to this last three-game stretch, Carter Garland was getting ice time again, finally, yep. averaging 17 minutes a game. He had seven points in 10 games, five even strength points. Good production, solid production. But he doesn't get a good run. He gets 10 games, he gets nine games here and there, and then the rug is pulled from under him. If you're looking to trade these guys, does Bruce not get not going to have to get more out of these players and not consistently throw Connor Garland to the third or the fourth line? And the reason I say fourth line is sometimes that third line is a third line in name, and the fourth line actually gets more ice time. We've seen that happen numerous times yeah. with Connor Garland this season, where he has been one of the low-minute getters. So if we're looking at, okay, what the Canucks are looking to do, they're trying to trade players out. How many players under this coach currently are even tradable outside of the ones we've talked about? Not many. That's the thing about Bo Horvat is he is tradable, uh, and he is a big asset. All of the unrestricted free agents, 100%, they've got some value and could be entertained as trade options at the deadline. Anybody with term on this team has not performed to a level that makes them attractive to opposing teams. Now, I do think, like, if we were to rewind to last year and look at Connor Garland's numbers then, sure, maybe there's a team that's, sort of in the early part of their contending window that says, hey, this is a piece we can add for yeah. a couple of years. That's mm-hmm. why there was such a strong connection to the New Jersey Devils. And even the LA season. Kings to some yeah. degree last season. Right. And, and those were the types of teams that were kind of yeah. hovering around Connor Garland. Obviously, it never got to a point where the Canucks got an offer that they really liked. But again, that's just how hard it's been moving term, moving cap, in this league, even if the player is quality. Mm-hmm. Look at Oliver Bjorkstrand, who went to Seattle over the course of the summer for a third and a fifth round pick. It's nothing for a guy who's a really valuable two-way player. Garland had a lot of similarities to a yeah. player like Bjorkstrand over the course of the summer. 
but the Canucks wanted more than that if they were going to move him. Yeah. Now there's no chance you get something like that. No, you're not. I mean, unless he plays better or unless yeah. his value comes back up again. And outside of Elias Pettersson and outside of Bo Horvat, who, who are having career seasons, which players are performing to the level they should be? Kuzmenko is one player. Kuzmenko. Mikheyev, who we like a lot, and even him, I know it's been, you mentioned it, it's been outlined that his pace isn't the same it was last year, but that's because he's playing through a knee injury, and I think it's a testament to him Mm -hmm. that he's playing through something that's hindering his speed, and he's still a very effective player, despite not having everything he needs, but I think he kind of fits that category as well, of course, but outside of that... You're talking about, like, maybe fourth liners, right? Like... (laughs) Even those guys? Yeah. I mean, Niels Ullmann was such a great story, now he's back in the minors. Yep. Uh, had a really tough go in, in the lead up to getting yeah. demoted. Um, you know, Luke Shen, but again, he's uh, making barely any money, yeah. right? So the expectations. And a veteran who's really found his game himself. And yeah. He's done everything he can. There's just not not a lot of guys. Uh, even OEL and, and Myers are not playing anywhere near the way they were a season ago. And they're not finding answers to it. I know uh, Drance has been talking quite a bit and wrote about how bad that OEL Myers mm-hmm. pair has been. And. They're not. They're, they keep going back to it. They're not finding different solutions. I know they tried different things with Hughes also playing with um, OEL, yeah. and they've tried some different things that hasn't worked. But they're not finding ways. So I get it because you know one of the things we've been mentioning here is like, why change anything? <laughs> All these guys are underachieving. You're looking at, you know, these guys aren't playing well enough or haven't done enough to really get back into playoff contention. So why get in the way of a team that might be finishing in the bottom five and, and getting you a Because good then draft you're stuck pick? with a lot of these players next year, too. Unless I think you, that's like, the... force their way out somehow. And is can you do everything? It's hard. I mean, in making the change, I don't think is going to make this team a playoff team. But maybe it makes gives them enough inspiration yeah. that they make a bit of a push and get themselves out of the bottom ten, which would... I mean, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, winning hockey games generally is a disaster. But if this team makes a change and the players' values don't really change too much and they get themselves out of the bottom 10, that's a pretty disastrous outcome for the season. Because you're not getting that high draft pick. You're really in the purgatory stage. Like, you're not really making a push. You're not getting that high draft pick. So I always question why even try to make things significantly better this season when it is a bit of a lost year. But if you're actually moving a couple guys out, like if you you do actually make a change and you get players playing a bit better, you still make the Horvat trade, make the Luke Shen trade, and maybe just maybe you, you see enough of a flash from a Brock Besser or a Carner Garland or somebody that they become somewhat intriguing as a trade deadline approaches. They need a change of how those players are deployed. And I think you're right to, to, to really single out Garland because this is a player, no matter what you think of Connor Garland, he has always been a player that produces around a 20-goal, 50-point sort of rate. Yep. Now, everybody has down years. For sure, but Garland last year, even under Bruce, you know, had a really tough go through the midsection of the season after Bruce came in and then started to pick it up towards the end of the season. But even last year, his minutes were down 90 seconds from where he was in Arizona. Yeah. And then this year, he's down another 90 seconds from where he was last year with the Canucks. So we're talking about a guy who played nearly 18 minutes a night when he was with the Arizona Coyotes, and you essentially paid the ninth overall pick for. Now he's playing 15 minutes a night. Yeah, and you know what? I'm not enamored with Garland. Like, I trade him in a heartbeat. 
You know, like I, I, sad. I, I know. I you, sit next to you, you at games, man. <laughs> like I, I know how you feel about Connor yeah, Garland. No, you know. But even I, even even like the guy who's maybe the biggest critic of him at our radio station, maybe the guy that dislikes his game the most. Yeah. And I'm sitting here saying, why you're not using him the right way at least? Yeah. You know, like it's not like he's performing so much worse than a lot of other players in this team. Yeah. And a coach is supposed to find a way to get the most out of players, at least allow a player to become the best version of themselves. Last year, we saw that with Bruce to a large extent. Despite the fact it was clear he didn't love Garland, he still find a, found a way for him to be effective. A lot of that came down to them playing the three centers down the middle to have an ability to get these guys ice time and, and get them the run they needed. But your your job is to put, is to put players in a position to be successful yeah. and help the team. And that's not happening. What are we seeing? Tons of minutes go to Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Patterson. Mm-hmm. And Horvat and Patterson have been great. No issues there. OEL, Hughes, and Myers. Yep. You're leaning on six, seven guys, and that's it. And that's essentially what it is. Just lean, he's, he's running his veterans hot, the guys he trusts, and that's all he's leaning on. And he's shortening the bench a lot. And, hey, I get it. Sometimes you're trying to win a game, but now you're this far gone. Like, How, how much is that affecting the overall state? Because I wonder if, if that becomes an issue organizationally, and, and that's why they may look to – go in a different direction with the coach. Well, and I know some of our listeners are texting in and you you have a fan base that loves the coach and, and all these things. And yeah, Bruce was great last year. He hasn't done enough this year. And I feel as though he's juggling too much. And we saw this problem with Travis green towards the end too. sat where every night there's a different lineup and every night there's a different decor. Every night you're doing different things to try and get and squeeze everything out of that lemon as you possibly can. But it's just not working. No. And you committed, you said it a thousand times. Oh, if we can play Horvat Miller Patterson through the middle of the ice, we're going to have success. Miller finally started playing better down the middle and they make the change. That's why Garland's numbers, why he's getting less than 12 minutes a night, because you're not going to play Garland, Drys, and Will Lockwood mm-hmm. more than that. Yeah. They're a fourth line. Yeah, You got two guys. One guy's a career journeyman AHLer, and Will Lockwood, who's trying to find a role at the NHL level, a possible role at the NHL level, but very much going to be, or profiles as a guy, if anything, is a fourth liner. I'll do respect to him. And then you got Connor Garland, a guy who's put up, 50 points mm-hmm. on pace for 60 points the year he uh, got traded to Vancouver uh, when he was his last year there with with Arizona a guy who's consistently put up two and a half points per 60 in his career and he's playing fourth line minutes because you don't have the center that you feel comfortable playing him with but it's because they keep changing this idea of we're going to be three centers oh no we're going to move Miller back to the wing regardless of what you think about Miller and whether or not he can play through the middle of the ice. He finally started to play better down the middle before Bruce made this most recent switch to playing him on Pedersen's line. And I understand, yeah, it's been early returns. Good. Pedersen and Miller look good in these last two games against the Jets and the Avalanche. But what are we talking about here? It's it's maybe depleting other parts of your lineup. It's not maximizing every part of your forward group that you have. Well, and even if it doesn't, why don't you find different ways to get those players in favorable situations? And this text unsigned says, look at his zone starts with the Coyotes versus his zone starts this season, as in Connor Garland. He gets, he gets quite a bit of defensive zone starts in Vancouver. Yeah. Not the type of player that, and he his defensive metrics have been generally pretty good, and he's not horrible at it. He's but, generally a player that spends a lot of time in the offense. Yes, zone. and that's what you know impacts the numbers. But I don't think it plays into his strengths. Ozone and, starts were seventy percent in Arizona, yeah. forty eight 
with Vancouver yeah. this year. It's a significant difference. Yeah. And again, are you putting these guys in a position to get more out of these guys? You know, and at least put them in a position where you can make these guys tradable potentially. Uh, it, it's becoming a, a very big question with, you know, the coach. And I, Bruce has a long track record of regular season success. He brought this team back to relevance last year when it looked like that was an impossibility. And the Bruce there at his chance certainly won over the fan base. He's an affable guy. He's easy to like. All of those things do apply. But have they created the environment they desire here in Vancouver? Part of... You know, a lot of the criticism I've seen from the fan base towards management is, what is the plan? There doesn't seem to be a cohesive plan. It's, it's the no plan plan again here from another management group, another front office in Vancouver. And that's fair. Your criticisms are fine, given everything that's happened in the year plus that Rutherford and Alvin have been at the helm. But what about the coach? What's his plan? on how to get the most out of this roster. It seems to change on a week-to-week basis. Well, it's It shows that he hasn't found answers and he keeps searching. And when you keep trying to change things, it becomes really difficult, I think. Yeah. And we've heard the players bemoan that fact, too, that they've tried different systems. They're changing things on, on the PK. And that's just only one aspect of things. But there's no consistency in how things are being approached. Now... All these things, to some extent, are chicken or the egg because we talk about the players also letting the coach down to a large extent. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not even saying if you make a coaching change to do it, do it to to bail the players out. It's more about like if we're looking at trade value here, because that's what I look at here. Like, forget everything else. How do you? Well, on the basis of what we started this segment on, this season is about trade value and you know setting yourself up for next year and the years in the years ahead. Everyone talks about make trades. Yeah. I'm there with you. They say sell guys for sure. It's not easy to sell guys when a lot of your players are struggling and they're overpaid. So how do you find a way to make these players more marketable? And right now with the current situation, they're not fine. That's not happening. Yeah. At the very least, is there more value in having some cohesion between management and the coach, how they're using players, which players to play up and maybe you know, you're you're sheltering guys or padding guys up. The Canucks did that with Cody Hodson under yeah. you know uh, the the Gillis regime before they traded him. They they gassed him up playing up the lineup, played played tons of ozone starts and and really really favorable situations. Put up put up a lot of points and they traded him for Zach Cassian. So there are ways you can do this if you're aligned with management and maybe that's what needs to happen in yeah. in order for you to be able to move some of these guys out because what they're doing right now honestly is. A lot of their value for their players is just sinking by the day. It's yeah, it's cratering. You know, even to a lesser extent, moving Luke Shen away from uh, from Quinn Hughes and having him play bottom pair minutes with with Travis Dermott right now, who's you know really trying to find himself and trying to find his game, being dropped into the middle of an NF- NHL season when not having played any games in the lead up to it. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things are massively important for this team. And I do wonder if, you know, the road trip and how big it is, is more about maybe the coach's future right now with this team than it is anything else. That's an interesting sort of way to look at this road trip 
rather than, you know, what we've done in the past where it's mm-hmm. like, how many points do they need on this road trip to get back into the playoff race or what, yeah. what kind of return do they need on this road trip? This season isn't about that anymore. This season is about the summer. It's yeah. about next season now. That's where the Canucks are. That's where they need to be. And I don't get the sense... Even from, and, and a lot of people are asking what we thought of Rutherford's comments yesterday. We talked a little bit about it on yesterday's podcast, which you can find on our pod, on our podcatcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever it is you're looking for. But one of the things Rutherford talked about is it may take longer to get good than maybe people had originally thought. If you think about some of the things Rutherford has said, It isn't always about the quickest of quick resets with this team. It's always been a little bit of maybe we'll have to take a step back to take two steps forward. So I do think that a lot of what they're doing right now is to set themselves up for that reset over mm-hmm. the next couple of years absolutely and Devin says you guys are way off this season is more about getting a top five pick now not dealing Garland or Besser again you can talk about this season but big picture that has to get solved yeah and I'm with you I- I've been saying let this season go the way it's going like get, get the high draft pick instead the only reason you would make the change is what I'm saying is if you feel like the the value for your players are creating cratering so much you need to make something different happen for you to make that move otherwise you're looking at okay and that's fine because I, I agree like just get the pick this year yeah you can deal with it in the offseason bring a new coach in but there's a reality here that and I think Rutherford was was saying this and Raymond mentioned this on the text inbox as well what do you guys think of Rutherford saying it's going to take longer than anticipated to yeah. move some of this money out but if we're looking at if you just tank this season and then it's harder to move certain guys next season also becomes about building guys up and trading guys. Yeah. So just know that it's not going to, it's going to take time to move players off this roster. You know, it's going to take time because right now, so many players are at such a low, unless they play better, unless the environment changes, you're not going to be able to have a market around those players. So if you don't, if you don't get a market up this year, which I understand, get the high draft pick, you got to build that market up next season. Yeah. So next season also becomes about trying to trade players off. And I see Larry and Abby saying, you guys keep talking about trading players and I get it. It's frustrating. But that's kind of where this team is at in their transition of trying to get guys out the door. And if people want trades, there's a reality you have to understand. They have to find a way for these players to play better. Otherwise, you're not getting those guys traded. One of the better things for the Canucks uh, this summer could be completely out of their control. And that is the salary cap raises to a level more than just a million dollars. Right? That's one big thing that could happen. And I know the other part of that conversation, Sat, that a lot of people are questioning after Rutherford's comments yesterday. Well, if that's the plan, why sign Miller and Mikheyev? Why commit as much money as they did to Miller and Mikheyev over the course of the summer? And this is the bet that they made. The bet they made is they believe those players will help them win in the three- to five-year term as much as anything else and keep them competitive in the short term as well. That was part of the plan. You can rip on that plan as much as you want. That was part of their bet, and they'll be judged on that as well, and they should be judged on that as well. Uh, All right, 
Irfan Gafar is going to join us. Uh, his take on uh, what's in the building block for the Vancouver Canucks. That's next on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. We are that much closer to uh, the pregame. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Canucks uh, get uh, the date with Sidney Crosby today. And Jake Gensel. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll have our power picks, uh, if that's uh, a little bit of foreshadowing for you in an hour's time when we get into the television portion of the pregame show today. Yeah. Um, uh, Sat coming off a big win with the Bull Horvat anytime goal. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going with. I'm not telling you if I'm going back to Bull Horvat, but it's uh, – it's a big play. You know what? Um, if we would have just bet or played Bo Horvat anytime goal every game this season, you'd be on top, like way on top. Oh, hugely, <laughs> hugely on top. Because there's always juice on top of yeah, it. Yeah, and you know, even I, without the the uh, the power pick element of it. Yeah, I mean, I, but the funny thing is, I think I picked a Bo Horvat anytime goal three times. Yeah, and one time it hit. Should have done it more consistently. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you kind of want to change things. If you don't want to give the same yes. play all over, you know, I try to think about that, you know, when, when we do our plays. But, yeah, like it, that's what we kept mentioning when we talked to Matt Lee. Like, hey, yeah, word of advice. <laughs> Until Bull Horvat cools off, there's tremendous value in just betting Bull Horvat anytime goals every game. Uh, it's uh, facts only on that front. Uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us every Tuesday. It's Canucks Insider with the fourth period, Irfan Gaffar. What's happening, Irf? What's going on, fellas? How we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. Getting ready for uh, another big-time Canucks game here. Uh, this team kind of just is what they have been all season long. You know, it seems when they beat Colorado, there was this, okay, maybe they've figured something out. They had the big talk, and then they go and do a lot of the same things they've been doing all season long against the Winnipeg Jets this season, and that's just play with very little structure, not play much defense, as much as they had bad goaltending. Like, the defense was, again, a, a problem on Sunday against the Jets. Yeah. I mean, the Canucks are just a really bad reality – or really bad produced reality TV show right now. So, like, too hot like to you handle? Get some good, you get some good – oh, not even that. <laughs> <laughs> not even close to that. Uh, like, you get some good, and then you're interested for a little bit, and then it's really bad and boring, and you want to turn it off, but you keep going back because you don't really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You want to um, see the ending. Yeah, and then everyone in these reality shows just have individual performances that you go and see. So you have, you know, Bo that's going to get a bajillion goals this year and is going to get paid. You know, you have a guy like Elias Pettersson who's playing very, very well as well right now. Um, and you want to see, you know, a guy like Quinn Hughes. Is he going to put up uh, some more more numbers and guys like Kuzmenko, but they don't ever put it all together. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And when they do for the one-off or, or, or the two-off games here in a row, people are like, okay, though, this team is going to go on a run again like last season. Well, no, they're not mm-hmm. because they revert back to exactly what they were before the season started. 
and it's just not a very good hockey team. It's pretty clear, and I think everybody knows, like within the organization, what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think management is waiting for them to turn it around all of a sudden. So, so the question really does become, like, is what importance does this road trip have, if any at all, in terms of decision making for this organization? Well, we, we talk so much about the future of Bo and, and, and the future of guys like Elias Pettersson and, and, and what are they going to do with, you know, Brock Besser and guys like Connor Garland and, and, and OEL. But, you know, decisions might be made off the ice before it's on the ice. I wonder what, I wonder what direction they're going to go here. I, I agree with you with this road trip being, obviously, it's an important one. You know, you're, you're playing against some pretty good hockey teams and you want to see where you are and, and, and where you sit. But... You know, when you play against the way the play like the way you did against the Winnipeg Jets, and you know something's going to have to happen here eventually. You know, we talked about what are they going to do with Bruce Boudreau? Is if if something were to happen there, I'm not saying it's going to. Is a guy like Mike Yo going to be a guy that steps in, and and do they have a candidate that that they already think that you know isn't going to be a guy just for you know next year or or two years? It's got to be the guy to help build this team forward to help push this thing forward. You know, obviously they, they like what Carlton's doing down um, or up in Abbotsford, sorry. And, you know, there are some definitely some other big, big, big name coaches out there that um, definitely could garner some interest from the Vancouver Canucks. But I, I, I just wonder what is the first thing that's going to happen? Is it going to be a signing? Is it going to be a trade or is it going to be something off the ice? And that's the one that, you know, after this road trip, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens here. Well, on the uh, you know the, the the pressure points, the hot seat was uh, super warm for Bruce earlier in the season when the Canucks were really going through it, and they sort of stemmed that tide. They won nine of thirteen, and things calmed down. But you know, I, as I look at it with Bruce from from management's perspective, he hasn't really been able to do any of the 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 things that they challenged him to do at the end of last year or through the course of the summer. They haven't been able to put in the structure that this front office so desires. I mean, I would say from their perspective, you know, Bruce hasn't been able to live up to what they would have liked him to do in order for him to be in this job long-term. I I, I would agree with you there, but from Bruce's perspective, what is management given him to try and have the structure? Yeah. Players can't play the system you want. It's really not your fault. Like I get you probably have to have other methods of teaching and, and things like that or, or, or what have you, but you know, the, the, the roster assembled that was given to Bruce that he's coaching, he's just coaching to try and win hockey games now. Yeah. And they can't even do that much. Well that's the thing. Forget I mean, about structure or anything. It's 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 individual performances night in and night out that we that we accomplish so much that, you know, Bo's going on this scoring streak and then, you know, guys like Quinn Hughes are putting up crazy numbers, but they can't put anything together as a team. And that's where the problem is. Now, if, that, if that's on Bruce or if that's on the players and the guys in that room or if that's on management, you know, that's obviously a decision, a decision somewhere else that has been made that's way above a lot of other people's figures. But it's not just it, – you can't just blame it on one at this point. No, and I agree. I mean, you can't – I mean, Bruce is going to do whatever he can to win hockey games. His back is up yeah. against the wall, right? But what he's doing is just leaning on a, like a six or seven guys, and those are the guys that are getting ice time. And, you know, I had a back and forth with one of our listeners about – Right now, so many players, their values are sinking outside of a couple of the top players because they're not getting utilized properly. And I'm not saying, you know, play guys just to build up their value, but you're not playing guys 
up to their potential or giving them enough favorable positions to be successful. And I start looking at that. I'm like, okay, look at Connor Garland, how he's being used. And and I get it. Hey, maybe he's on the outside looking in with your top wingers, but why is he getting so few offensive zone starts when he's an offensive player? You know, like you're not putting him in a favorable position to be successful. Like forget about building their values up. Like why don't you just play players in positions where they can be the best versions of themselves or perhaps help your team out? And that's not happening. So I wonder... Like, does it come down to that in terms of decision making that from from the organization standpoint, if they are moving on from the coach after the road trip, potentially that it's yeah, sure, we want to get a high draft pick. But is something happening here with with their players that they think has to change? Oh, of course, I, I agree with that completely. I, I just think that there's there's a lot there's a lot more layers to this story than you know what what we just see day in and day out and, and what we what we're able to report on. Right. I, I think that there's a lot more going on. Uh, behind the scenes that that is taking place and and you know it is trying to get the most out of your players and and i agree like should Connor garland be playing the offensive zone more yes but is bruce boudreau trying to win a hockey game every single every mm-hmm. single day yes does he feel like a guy like Connor garland gives him gives him the best chance to win a hockey game in that scenario that might be up to bruce it's probably not right mm-hmm. so you look at who's coaching the game you, you look at what happens and i and i agree like the top guys are getting used a lot they're playing a lot but where's this Bo Horvat story going to go? You know, you, you want to play that guy a lot just to see what happens there. You know, you, you want to play a guy like Brock Besser a lot to see if you might, if you might get something, you might get a sniff from someone somewhere. And then you look at your defense and you're obviously going to pay Quinn a lot. Right. And, and a guy like Ethan Bears, who they have to make a, make a decision on there. So there's, there's a lot to this team to, that needs to be unpacked that we're all trying to do it in the midst of them trying to win a hockey game mm-hmm. here. So it's, it's difficult for, for Bruce to coach. It's difficult for the players to play, but at the same time, like to be completely honest, none of these guys are playing for each other. Yeah. It, and, and it's very evident every single time they step on the ice with the exception of one or two games where they look good. Yeah, I know. I think that's very, very obvious, and I think that's one of the more disappointing parts about what we're seeing this season from the players. Problem is dip, deeper than the coach. Yes, it certainly is. Now, if they do move, you mentioned there are some big names available. Is this a situation where they would jump on, say, a Barry Trotz or perhaps a Rick Tockett if they are making a change? Or is it more about, let's get somebody in interim-wise? And for a while, I wondered if they made a change, if it would be Jeremy Carlton. But considering how that thing is going in Abbotsford and how well that team is playing and how yeah. many young players they have, I don't think they want to touch that. I think they want to keep that the way it is. And I think they're very happy. And it's one of the success stories for this organization is what's going on in Abbotsford this season. So I don't think they want to touch that. So what do you think they would do if they are making a change at some point? But if they do make a change, I think that you go interim right now and you do your extensive, your quote unquote extensive coach search this summer. And you, you have to nail it. You have no choice. You, you've got a guy in Elias Pedersen who you're going to commit a lot of money to. If, if you're able to, to re-sign him, that's going to want to know who the, who the head coach of this team is going to be. And that's who you're building your team around. You go to your quote-unquote leadership group that you have right now, and you have meetings, and you talk to them. And this next coach, can't, it can't be another one- or two-year guy. It, it, it's it's got to be a person that's behind that bench that's able to push this team forward and grow with the team and, and learn with the team. And And I think that there are a lot of people that are out there that are able to get the most out of players that are able to, you know, coach and have different methods and different ways of going about things. But for the Vancouver Canucks, like if you're, if you're moving on from Booth at some point, whether it's during the season, whether it's next week, whether it's in two months or whether it's after the season, 
the next person that coaches this Vancouver Canucks hockey team, you have to nail that hire. You you can't afford to go backwards again by not. Yeah, and you know part of the the, the issue here um, with with Bruce too is I mean it it feels obvious it is obvious to everyone that Bruce is not long for the job. So it's it's whether they want to do it in season or they just wait till the end of the year at this point. Yeah, and I think that that's that's well it's something. I think something's going to give here quick or pretty soon. I, I, I just wonder how that affects, you know, some of the things we've been talking about with the, the culture of the team and, you know, they're not playing for each other. Are, are you what working culture? toward? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, to be completely honest, what, like, I don't think it affects them at all. They're yeah. not playing. They're clearly not even playing for the guy. But so. you're sort of just committing to a, to a lost end of season, right? And not building anything towards the future. Well, you're committing to an L somewhere. Yeah. Right, and if it's, if Connor Bedard's the be all end all, then you know we'll see what happens. But it's it's gotten to the point now where you you, you look at it and you just say this is bad. Yeah. Like like that game against Winnipeg was awful. And you know what? Like, and I, the, the, I mean, you know what? You're right about that. And I don't think it's about like if you do make a change, I'm with you. Like I, th- I think let let it burn and get to the fifth overall pick, and you know don't get in the way of it if, that, if that's the case. But Man, like it's one of those things where it's if you hire, say, a Barry Trotz, Mm -hmm. I think you can sell that really well. But I don't know if that's an in-season move you want to make this year. No, I don't. I I don't think so either. I I I think that if they were to move on, if if they were to move on from Bruce in season, it would be interim until the end, and then you figure it out in the summer or right around the draft. And the focus you're probably, would, want to, you're probably going to want to have a head coach in uh, before the draft. Well, yeah, I think for sure, like you want to have it in place during the season and really plan things out and and have him on board in terms of some of the key decision making uh, on the players in the roster. Now, on what they might be doing here leading up to their trade deadline, the biggest name is Bo Horvat. What do you make uh, of what's going on with him and the latest around his situation? Nothing right now, to be completely honest. I think that. You know, I, I know you and I talked earlier in the week, Chad. I, I, I think that there's a lot of teams, a lot of teams under the radar mm-hmm. um, that are in on Bo. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Like we've heard the teams, obviously, Elliot mentioned the Seattle Kraken. There's teams, you know, the, the, the Devils obviously have shown some interest. The Colorado Avalanche ha- have shown some interest there. But I think there's a, that there's a lot more. I, I wonder if a team like the Minnesota Wild um, would be a team that would be interested in Bo as well. But you know, of the teams that we are hearing that, that are coming out, I can tell you right now that there's a lot more that are flying under the radar that, you know, would, would love to try try and get the services of Bo Horvat here. Yeah, it, it's um, it's heading to a direction, I think, uh, where, where trade is more likely than not, as, as we've all talked about and kind of see the writing on the wall as the season continues to develop. Now, nothing's a foregone conclusion until it actually happens. Well, of course. But I, I, I do wonder, it, from the Canucks' strategy perspective, you know, Sat and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, you know, do you allow teams to talk contract with Bo Horvat, or do you sell him more as a rental? And really, because there are so many teams that are going to be interested, try to build up the price that way. Yeah, uh, I think that that's a, tough, that's a tough call, right? Because if you're... Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, and you have a team that you know is willing to give up a lot for Bo Horvat, but they want to talk to him, but Bo doesn't want to sign their long term. Then what? Yeah, yeah, right. And then then you, you could have you could have the the best deal on the table, 
of all of them. But if Bo's not signing there long term, you know that that deal probably doesn't happen. So it's you kind of get you know you a little bit messed up in in both situations here, where you want to do right by your captain and kind of you know if if he is going to get moved, um, you know put him in a place and and then try and do something that's that, that's good for him. But you're also trying to get the best deal for yourself. And that might hurt you in the end. And we always talk about, you know, this team taking an L on the deal. I'm not sure it's the, the bow deal, mm. if it was done, is that the one that they're going to take an L on? I think that's the one where Alvin Rutherford, that that's got to be their big W. Like, that's got to be the yeah. win. If, if, if they're going to nail something, it's got to be the bow deal. I'm, I'm there with you on it. As far as a yeah. deal they can take an L on, like, is there even a deal they can make to take an L on that's realistic? And would, that, would I mean, the only one be Besser? You retain salary on Besser. Yeah. You, it's not, it's not even a deal. You buy out Garland. You just, you just take your L there, like, uh, right? Or, or you, you know, try and convince OEL he's not going anywhere though to, to waive his <laughs> no trade clause, or, 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 or Tanner Pearson, right? It's something like that. If, if you can, if you can get something, you know, for any of those other guys, you know, that that aren't mentioned, Elias Pettersson, or I guess probably Quinn Hughes right now, but you never know. But yeah, the the, the one's interesting because you're gonna have probably. If you don't re-sign him, uh, a lineup of teams that are going to want him, and there's going to be a lot of them, especially that want to talk long-term contract with him. Now, if they talk to him, if they talk to him, and what if Bo doesn't want to go there? So that's mm. that that that's going to be the big one that will be interesting to see for the Canucks because I think there's a couple teams out there that are interested in Bo Horvat and that want to sign him long-term, but I'm pretty sure that he doesn't want to go there for long-term. So we'll see what happens here in the next little bit. Um, the other one is, is Andre Kuzmenko. And I know we've talked about it a, a lot in our last couple of hits, um, but we always get questions about the future of Andre Kuzmenko. And I, I guess I just wonder, you know, as he continues to play well, as he continues to rack up the points, is there, like, is there a walkaway number for the Canucks? Like, w- at what point does it get uncomfortable for them when they think about a long-term extension for Andre Kuzmenko? Is it about you know, 24 million over, over four years, something to that effect, 24, 25 million. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that's a lot of money. Look, I, I, he's come into this season and fit in perfectly with Elias Pettersson. The guy's a breath of fresh air. He makes everyone laugh in the locker room. He's a good dude. You know, he's, he's learning the culture. He wants to be here. And I think that that's, like I've said before, every single time that that's the one the good thing that the Canucks have going for them is that the, this, this dude wants to be a Vancouver Canuck, but how much are the Canucks willing to pay you know, Dan Milstein's client, right? It's, it's, it's going to be a lot of money. And I don't know what a walkaway number would be, but I don't think that this one's going to get out of control. Like, I think that both sides have, a, in, in all reality, probably a decent number that they both want to work at, probably maybe around $5 million, I think, now, Zach? Yeah, I think so. I think we talked about this. The Mikheyev contract, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. was kind of like a a hey, rough sketch of what it could look like, if not more. And I think, yeah, I think probably five million. More. Yeah, probably five. a little more. Yeah. And he was, so you look at five, maybe an extra year, five times five, 25 million. That's not insignificant. No, what I think you, that that's something that, I, yeah. I think that's something that, that, that could easily please both sides. Would, would Kuzmenko be, be interested? I know uh, Rick mentioned something about like, maybe he takes a shorter term deal potentially to set himself up. Cause he's, you know, we're talking about a guy who's going to be 27 years old. Is that yeah. on the table at all? Like, a, you know, a one or two year deal. Do you want to set yourself up if you're 27 years old? Yeah. Or do you want to take your money right now? Yeah. That's the thing, and, right? And, and, yeah. and, and have the security. I look, I get it. Like, you know, there, there are a lot of players that have done taking those one or two year deals, but, not really at this age, 
right? If you're going to get your money, you probably get it now. And then you get yourself into a contract where you're over, where you're at, you know, 30, 32 years old, you know, and you're, you've already banked about 25, $26 million. So I think that that, if you're a player there, I think that's something that you probably look at and want to do, or, you know, do you bet on yourself? Do you go the Horvat route a little bit? Right. But it's, it's, it's interesting, but I think that if presented um, long-term might, might be more, might, might be more, uh, style. Irf, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. You didn't talk about the only blue team wearing blue and green that matters this weekend? Oh, I know. We were, we're almost out of time, but, you know, one team's oh, going to the playoffs. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, I'm just the Seattle Seahawks, uh, you know, their social media department has to get everything out of the way now. <laughs> we get blown out on Saturday. We're going to be done, so it's okay. Still, man, listen, you guys traded. And they crushed the Packers on Sunday. Oh, it was so good. It was great. I mean, <laughs> now, so you trade Russell Wilson, yeah. get a fifth overall pick this year, get another first-round pick next season, mm-hmm. and you made the playoffs. In the playoffs. And, and, and you have Geno Smith, yep. who, like, maybe he's worth holding on to as a starting quarterback for the time being. Things are pretty good. We love it. Great. I mean, look, it's going to be very hard for San Francisco to beat the Seahawks three times this year. I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but it's going to be a little bit difficult. Okay, okay. We'll see. Right. We'll see how Brock Purdy does against the Seahawks defense. All right, all right, okay. Uh, uh, we'll see how Purdy this game is tonight. Yeah, Irf, uh, you're the best. Thanks for this. Ciao, boys. Uh, there he is, uh, Irfan Gafar. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. Pre-game is next on Canuck Central.